nobody ever tells their their parents at five years old over the dinner table, hey, I want to be a government contractor when I grow up. And now, it's time once again for the show that gives glorious voice to 25 million business owners across the Fruited Plain. Radio Free Enterprise with Frank Felker. Hello, hello, hello. Yes, indeed, I am Frank Felker. Welcome back to Radio Free Enterprise. For regular listeners of the show, you know that I believe that marketing is the single most critical success factor for any business. And many times we're overlooking the most obvious prospective client there could possibly be that's right in front of our nose. And what if I were to tell you that there's a buyer out there that buys $3.9 trillion a year worth of goods and services, probably millions and millions of dollars of your good or service on a, probably on a daily basis, but that you haven't even considered doing business with this customer for a variety of reasons that we're going to talk about right now. Our guest today is Elvis Oxley of governmentcontracting.net. And Elvis is a consultant uh, who helps business owners do business with the federal government, which can often be a daunting task. But Mr. Oxley is going to share with us today some insights from his many years of experience on why you should consider getting involved with government contracting and how you can get started sooner and with less pain than you might imagine. Elvis Oxley, welcome to Radio Free Enterprise. Frank, thanks so much for having me and uh, pleased to uh, be on here with your audience today. And let's see how I can help some fellow small businesses. I'm looking forward to it very much. Now, Elvis, as anyone who has ever tried to sell to the federal government well knows, it ain't easy. Why would anybody even consider it? Why would you recommend that a business owner give the idea of federal contracting serious consideration? Well, Frank, for for two reasons. Uh, one, you're looking at about $550 billion annually in spend that the federal government uh, is looking to do on products and services. You had mentioned $3.9 trillion prior. Uh, that's the total budget uh, on the federal side. But mm-hmm. in terms of, of goods and services, you're at about $550 billion. Uh, if you are... Uh, if you are purposely avoiding, or if you don't know how to tackle that market, then you're 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 missing out on a, a good chunk of change potentially. Um, and if you have something that the commercial sector wants, a product or service, there's a really strong chance that a public sector entity, federal, uh, state, or local, also buys that. Uh, everything from window washing to uh, to syringes to uh, cars, you name it, the federal government buys that. And it's important not to uh, to miss out on that potential sale. Well, give us an example if you can. Give us, you don't have to name the company, uh, uh, you know, identify them if you don't want to. But can you give us one or maybe two examples of a consulting client that you work with there at governmentcontracting.net, what they do and uh, how they what they sell to the government and how you help them. 
Sure. Uh, one of our, our favorite client success stories is a company uh, that's out of Greensboro, North Carolina. They have a software that finds improper payments. That is overpayments, underpayments, fraud, you name it. Um, they came to us several years ago serendipitously at the same time that the federal government had passed a law called IPERA the Improper Payment Elimination and Recovery Act. You can't get any more serendipitous than that. Uh, it was the government's attempt to read all of these GAO reports, the, the oversight uh, uh, agency for the government that had indicated there was over $125 billion per year in improper payments wow. coming out of federal agencies. And oh, by the way, the DOD did not bother to answer that survey. So my guess is that it was probably twice that and still is. So we were able to position a company that had a terrific track record with the Fortune 500 uh, and, a, and an excellent, far superior software to government agencies uh, and, and place them in a position of leadership. When a law is enacted, it takes a long time to get adopted uh, within the federal government. And we were able to help educate uh, agency personnel on how best to adopt this law within their agency and do something about it. I think the other key aspect, and we'll probably get into this a little bit later in the, in the broadcast, was how to couch that sale. Obviously, the, the CFO's organization within uh, the agencies was the ultimate buyer, but we created a grassroots strategy which was pretty effective in that if, if our client was able to recoup those funds, by law, they were able to be uh, used on uh, the same year fiscal uh, same fiscal year projects. So we went to a number of program managers and said, hey, what would you want if you had more budget? And we presented uh, a, a short laundry list to that CFO organization and said, you've got a whole bunch of program managers that are going to be knocking on your door soon uh, because we told them that we can find more money. <laughs> oh, that's a great sales approach. I love that. <laughs> so it worked. Uh, we, we were quite affected for them. And, uh, and really, it's about knowing the landscape. We, we knew that the CFO's organization would ultimately buy this because we had the best on the market product, uh, even though we were, quote, untested in the government environment. But we were helping educate them the entire time, and it was a good relationship. Um, we did everything right, and we ended up uh, finding well over a million dollars at one particular agency uh, in improper payments. You know, there's something that you just touched on there is educating your client and how you capitalized on uh, the serendipitous nature of this new law being passed. And which, of course, it not only means that new tools need to be used, but the people within the agencies have to learn how to be in compliance with that new law. And so you step forward with your client and said, hey, we're the experts on this. We can help you. And, you know, that positioning as educator and advocate, that's tremendous. It's true. And, you know, I was fortunate enough uh, prior to starting my company 10 years ago, 
um, I was on the, the lobbying side of the equation, and, and everyone probably cringes when they hear the word lobbyist, but it is, uh, it's, a, it's an educational role uh, for uh, agency personnel, members of Congress, staff, uh, you name it. But having that understanding of how the left side of the equation, if you will, uh, worked was tremendously helpful for me because that type of political intelligence was able to be uh, shared with our clients. They knew what was coming down the pipe. They knew what legislation was going to affect them, affect agencies. We were able to translate exactly how and then lever their products and services to service that need most effectively. So how did that happen, Elvis? How did you go from being in the lobbyist role to creating uh, governmentcontracting.net and positioning yourself as a consultant to help companies sell to the federal marketplace? Uh, accident, pretty much. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I nobody ever tells their their parents at five years old over the dinner table, hey, I want to be a government contractor when I grow up, or mm -hmm. at least I haven't found a kid who's who said that yet. So um, my second week of business school, uh, I started my company back in 2006, and I started lobbying for, for small businesses on their behalf. Um, that's what I knew how to do, having come out of a trade association. And I sat down about six months in with a client of mine, uh, and he said, uh, do you know what a service-disabled veteran-owned small business is? And I said, I have no idea, but if we can monetize it, then I, I want to learn more. <laughs> and, I can figure it out. Yeah. Uh, and, and I realized that, again, uh, as an executive order from the second Bush administration, that there was a, a set-aside percentage uh, within government buys for service disabled. In fact, it was 5%. And I do math relatively quickly, $550 billion times 5%. That's a good chunk of change. Yeah. So I went back to my clients and I said, what is it that you want us to do for us or for you? And they said, lobby. And I said, define lobby. And they said, well, we want you to sell our stuff to the government. And I said, oh, you want business development, not lobbying. Mm -hmm. So rather than change my clients, I changed my business. And in doing so, I attended every single small business outreach event that I could from every single agency. Uh, I called all of the retired military friends that I could uh, that were in the procurement world and asked them how this was done. Uh, I read the FAR, which is a giant uh, ever-moving book on uh, the rules and regulations of uh, selling things to the government and um, learned it the hard way, to be honest with you. And in doing so, I've taken the path of the majority of our clients uh, who have called us up and said, uh, um, I'm sort of done doing this the hard way. Can you help us? Yeah. Well, and it can be very difficult. when With all the uh, people that you've worked with or, or even people that have not been clients of yours, uh, with your broad experience, what would you say is the biggest mistake that business owners make when they consider the idea of, of becoming a, a federal government contractor? I think it's an underestimation of the time and effort uh, that this will take. Um, American Express Open does a great job of surveying government contractors every year 
and consistently for, I think they've been doing this seven or eight years, their tally is that on average, it takes between 18 and 21 months to earn your first federal contract. Wow. So that is, that's a, a wide scope between, you know, Joe Bob's uh, Fruits and Nuts Shack, never done anything like this before and just opened their doors yesterday to a retired four-star who uh, steps out of uh, their military career, uh, you know, walks into a medium-sized missile-selling business and uh and and is able to use their connections back at the pentagon in order to sell so that's that's a full range there of uh of things but companies bring us on in order to try to minimize that time scope mm -hmm. accelerate the process and start getting the uh, revenue generated i recall many many years ago when i was in the printing business uh, we were looking to do federal contracting. And that was a unique uh, situation, though, because there's actually a government printing office that uh, was focused specifically on that. But I do recall it was a very lengthy process. And it was also something where if you don't know the nomenclature and you don't understand how things work, you can uh, you can feel like you're sitting there with a dunce camp cap on pretty easily. I, I would ask you, you know, if somebody uh, is, you know, has a particular product or service, you mentioned everything from fruits and nuts to missiles and automobiles and thumbtacks, and I imagine everything in between. So it's kind of hard to narrow down what the what the perfect prospect would be. But if somebody had something, they thought the government contracting would be good for them. Can you share like three or four tips or shortcuts or just main things that they should consider as they enter into the process? Sure, I'd be happy to, Frank. Um, but but first, let me bring you back to your own personal example. Uh, I wish that uh, we would have known one another back in your, your printing <laughs> days. I do too, Elvis. I can tell you that. It's it's interesting because uh, a girl that I grew up with back in Ohio uh, owns a printing business, and she reached out to me not too long ago, and uh, and she said, you know, can you help? And I said. Absolutely, because you were a small woman-owned business, mm -hmm. and uh, she said, "So, do I have to come to D.C. and you know work with the, the GPO and and try all this stuff?" I said, "No, actually, Frank doesn't know this, but but you will now. Uh, there is no more printing uh, within the GPO. It is uh, in a completely electronic system." And all bids are online, and uh, Joe Bob's Print Shack in lovely Findlay, Ohio, uh, can bid on uh, everything from White House dinner uh, uh, menus to uh, the entire federal budget. Um, it is a very small business friendly group, and rather than have giant printing presses running around here in D.C., they've farmed everything out. It's a, it's a giant vacuous building right now. Wow. Right down there on Capitol Hill. I remember where it was. Exactly. Yeah. We had to go down there and drop off bids and pick things up. And, and the people down there were less than uh, friendly. <laughs> <laughs> well, with that, I, and believe me, no matter what, I'm not going back in the printing business. So I that, don't worry about that. But I'm glad you were able to help your friend. Fair enough. But on the, on the tips to, to success, um, I, would, I would share these three uh, nuggets. One, uh, think risk mitigation, not winning. And what I mean by that is as a follow-up to, to what I said previously. 
Um, if you are new to the game, you've got to get into a position where someone is uh, less risk averse to buy your product. And you wait a minute, I want to just make sure. So we're speaking now from the perspective of the contracting purchasing agent on the government side. Exactly. Okay. And, the, and the program manager uh, who will ultimately use this uh, product or service. So you've got to get it into their heads that you will pick up the phone at 4 a.m. if something goes wrong. You've got to get it into their heads that you've done it well enough on the private sector that they can trust you to, to, mm. uh, to do it in the government world. You've got to potentially uh, get yourself a GSA schedule, which is an easy way to say to the government, hey, one other large government agency has vetted us well enough to give us a schedule. They haven't necessarily bought anything from us, but the risk is off of your shoulders because GSA already vetted our uh, our taxes, our, uh, our business plan, our primary employees, et cetera, enough to do business with us or to give us the opportunity to do business. So for somebody who doesn't know what that means, what does it mean to have a GSA schedule or to be on the GSA schedule? Uh, I mean, you just said that as far as they've been vetted, et cetera, but they may not understand the, the word schedule as a noun. Sure. Uh, the GSA schedule is analogous to the JCPenney catalog. <laughs> it is, it's, a, it's a preset uh, group of products and services that have a known price point to them and a known set of uh, vendors that are competitive with one another. So as an example, there's GSA 70, which is by far the biggest uh, schedule out there. And that is all of the IT stuff. That's products and services. That's mm, cybersecurity. Mm -hmm. That's Dell laptops. That's, uh, you know, laser beams and everything. So if I'm a government buyer, one of the easier ways for me to do particularly uh, lower dollar buys is to press a button on a GSA eBuy and say, I want your stuff. Thank you for pre-negotiating this price. And I'd like it within one week here at this particular location. So the, in the inbox at the business owner, uh, an email comes in and says, we just ordered $2 million worth of your product. Thank you very much. It, it has happened. And, uh, and often those types of things happen more in August and September, which is the end of the federal fiscal year, when they've got to spend their cash. Which brings me to a question. Uh, you know, in some ways, I'm reminded as you're speaking, Elvis, that it's almost like somebody who hit the, the business lottery of getting a contract from Walmart, you know, to sell socks or something like that. And sure. one minute, you know, they're selling 100,000 pairs of socks a month. And all at once, now they need to be able to generate 10 million pairs of socks a month and they, and they have to perform. Um, I would imagine, or you tell me whether it's true or not, do you help in your consulting to help your, your clients to make sure that they're prepared to uh, fulfill on the promises that they're making on the GSA schedule? We do, and, and those are the types of, of uh, management consulting aspects that we bring to the table, um, just being prepared. Um, one of the, the primary aspects of, of my job is research. 
And the research is primarily on the government side. What do they buy? Who, from whom have they purchased it before? Uh, do they have any uh, preferred set-aside groups that they purchase from, woman-owned, veteran-owned, what have you? But I've also got to do a lot of research on the client themselves. Uh, do they have enough free cash flow to put towards inventory uh, if they are purchased in a, uh, an expeditious manner? Uh, do they have uh, warehouses that are um, stocked up enough to, uh, to meet inventory demands? Um, are they shrewd enough to recognize seasonalities uh, with purchases of uh, heavy coats versus rain gear? Those types of things. So if, again, if they've done it well on the commercial side, chances are they will do it well on the government side. And that's where we're here to help to transition. You know, I don't uh, want you to name a specific figure, but I, as I'm listening to you, and I always try to put myself in the seat of, of our listeners, I can't help but wonder, how do you charge for what you do? Clearly, what you're talking about is tremendously valuable. And your experience and your insight and your Rolodex and your network of people that you can pick up the phone and call is just invaluable. But how in, in, is this a... Uh, you know, percentage of sales deal? Is this a flat fee? How, how do we pay to have the services of, uh, of governmentcontracting.net help us find our way through this maze? We are analogous to bringing on a business development director uh, for a smaller, medium-sized business. That's okay. how we couch ourselves. So if, the, if a prospect of ours is truly ready to bring on a business development director, that's us, without the cost of health care, without the cost of vacations, et cetera, um, or real estate. And that's that becomes us. So we are on a monthly retainer, and we are on a percentage of sales that we bring to the table uh, and are able to capture. So very easy model to uh, to digest. And Typically, our engagements are years, uh, year long with our clients, and there's a two-month out clause should either party uh, not want to go further. So again, we are structured to be uh, cognizant of small business needs and ebbs and flows. <laughs> well, I appreciate that, and I'm sure your clients do as well. Well, if someone is listening today and they're strongly considering uh, the idea of getting involved with government contracting, they'd like some insight uh, from the man himself, what's the best way for them to connect with you, Elvis? Visit governmentcontracting.net, uh, easy enough to remember, and there's a uh, purple uh, button there right in the middle. Uh, we've got about a 10-point form in there. Um, what does the your, button say? Uh, it says, let's get started Okay. and uh, press that button, put in some details about your business uh, and we'll do about a half an hour's worth of research and get back to you uh, in short order with either a yes or no, you really ought not be in this business. Uh, thank you for, <laughs> thank you for calling. And I'll be honest, there's, we we get calls quite frequently uh, from folks who really ought to spend some more time on the commercial side or really ought to develop their product more so that the government would potentially buy it. Um, but if, if the market proves out, uh, if there's uh, enough things to aim at, 
uh, then we'll tell you and we'll try to figure out a relationship that's mutually beneficial. Now, clearly it can be very valuable just to be told, you know, you're really not ready for this because that could save you a lot of time and heartache. But are you able to give them some indication of what they should do in order to try to get themselves better prepared to come back to the table? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm always happy to share free advice and I'll, I'll do these types of podcasts and I've spoken to a number of trade associations. Um, I think the, the, the number one thing is know to whom you are selling. Um, I've had too many uh, conversations with small business owners that have said, oh, you know, I, I went to the small business office and they gave me this lovely PowerPoint about how to do business with the agency, and then they never called me. Well, <laughs> uh, well, number one, the small business office actually doesn't buy anything except for, you know, uh, computers and pencils. Uh, two, uh, there's an 80-20 rule generally in, in small business offices. There's 80% who will hand you the the PowerPoint and say, have a lovely day. And then there's 20% that will grab you by the ear and say, good, I was looking for you. Here's, I'm going to drag you down the hall and introduce you to the program officer that buys this stuff. Uh, I've been looking for you. Um, and, and that's nice. The program officer is the guy who is buying your product or service. That's the individual that you need to get to know. Um, hmm. And you need to uh, find that individual, and then you need to come well-researched. Um, and that's the point in time where we're able to front-load our clients with the right information. Who, uh, who did he buy the, the last set of products from? What was the price point? How often does he buy them? What's his preferred method of procurement? Um, does he have any set-aside requirements that he hasn't hit yet, like HubZone, which we haven't yet touched on in, in this uh, conversation? Um, can we help that, that program manager or program officer in any way hit their small business goals uh, while still meeting the requirements of what it is that he's buying? You know, it's interesting to me, and unfortunately we are out of time, but I uh, often say to people, I when they ask me, and here I am in the D.C. area and I'm a marketing guy, they'll say, well, what do you know about marketing to the federal government? I'll say, absolutely nothing. <laughs> but my assumption had always been that it was somehow completely different than, uh, than commercial marketing. But so many things you've said today strike me that it's so much alike because I need to get inside the mind of the buyer. What mm -hmm. makes him happy? Risk mitigation, proof of, you know, that we can actually come through. Somebody else already bought from this company. All kinds of things that make that person's life better and easier. That's what we need to do if we'd like them to buy from us. That's right. That's right. Exactly right. Well, Elvis Oxley, I really appreciate you sharing all your wisdom and your time with us today on Radio Free Enterprise. Thank you so much for being here. Frank, thank you very much for having me, and uh, I really appreciate it. Uh, good to chat with you, and hope that's been helpful to your listeners. Thanks again to Elvis Oxley. Thank you for listening. Now, here's what we need to do. You need to go to the iTunes store and subscribe to Radio Free Enterprise. While you're there, maybe you can leave me a nice five-star rating, maybe a little review, just saying. After that, come on back to RadioFreeEnterprise.com and register with the site so that you can stay on top of all the exciting happenings here at RFEHQ. 
you promise to do that, and I'll promise to remain your fearless host, Frank Felger. Till next time, I'll see you on the radio. We return you now to the leader of the free enterprise system, broadcasting from the capital of capitalism. Here is Frank Felker in Washington, D.C. Everybody!